What's up, everybody? Marshall Media Montage coming at you. I'm going to do a different kind of little segment this time. I like to call uh, Polar Opposites, where I'm going to be talking two types of opposite end of the spectrum uh, films. I'm going to be talking uh, Ace Ventura 1 and 2, as well as uh, <clears throat> Robocop 1 and 2. I don't really want to talk about the third one all, at all, really, because uh, Peter Weller doesn't play a Robocop. So here it is. Uh, I... Fortunately, was able to do uh, RoboCop with my buddy uh, Austin today on his podcast, Kicking Ass Podcast, where we talked uh, likes, dislikes, and uh, a little more different aspects in relation to the film. I have factoids and trivia here that I would like to share that I find are pretty interesting. It's a lot to cover for RoboCop. Ace Ventura, it's only a couple pages, actually, surprisingly, information that I was able to find. Same thing, I'm going to be doing factoids and trivia, and a lot of relatively interesting information in regards to those films. And, uh, I definitely am still waiting on a homie to uh, hit me back so we can uh, talk likes and dislikes and quote that film as well. So here it is, Polar Opposites, Marshall Media episode, I believe, 28. Let's go. Well, for those of you who uh, <clears throat> listen to my show, as is tradition, I will play the uh, two-minute trailer for Ace Ventura, the first one. I haven't seen this in so long. To earn the name Hero, but now there's a new way to spell action. Jim Carrey is Ace Ventura, pet detective. He's the best there is. Excuse me, gentlemen. Pet detective. Almost fitting the sirens in the background. That's complete accident. That's just sheer coincidence. Now, the mascot of the Miami Dolphins has been kidnapped. Oh, righty then. And he's on the case of a lifetime. Listen, pet dick. How would you like me to make your life a living hell? Well, I'm not really ready for a relationship, Lois. There's no place he won't go. Captain's log, starting 23.9. Ace, get out of the tank. I just can't do it, Captain. I don't have the power. Nothing he won't do. And no one he can't handle. Hey! I could do anything to embarrass me in front of camp. What? Like this? <clears throat> <clears throat> Captain Steubing. Because when this pet detective gets the scent. Where's Dan Marino? Hi, I'm Dan Marino. Marino, why? Because he's about to join Snowflake. He'll follow it anywhere. Here's Snowflake. Jim Carrey is. Do not go in there. Woo! Ace Ventura, pet detective. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love how in the uh, actual trailer they were like, he's like Rambo. He's like Terminator. I mean, you guys probably obviously didn't see the time slots, but this is actually like the only time as far as movies go. When uh, Whenever you get like special features on DVDs, this is the only time I actually watch the trailer. I'm never like I buy a DVD like, oh, special features. Cool. Like, and then that's all they have is the trailer. I'm like, that's not a fucking special feature. I can go on YouTube and do that. I'm like, give me like a documentary, a making of the film. Give me a, a bio on the uh, actors, whatever. To me, that's a lot more meaningful than just that. 
Anyway, as you guys can tell, as I stated in my prologue, I am talking Ace Ventura. I will go in order. I will talk the first one, then I will talk the second one. <clears throat> first one, created by Jack Bernstein, released in 1994 and When Nature Calls a year later in 95. The bio is as follows. Uh, January, or excuse me, uh, created by a Rex Ventura, or oh my God, I can barely even read my own writing. The bio is as follows. Ace Ventura is son of Rex Ventura, excuse me, holy shit, and descendant of Jacques Cousteau, the uh, French, you know, um, obviously, uh, the hell was he, like a zoologist or something. Uh, unbeknownst to me that there was a crossover in the mask and an animated series episode called Ace Man Cometh. The crossover continues in the Pet Detective cartoon episode, uh, Have Mask Will Travel. Overall, Ace was ranked 59th greatest movie uh, character in 2008 by Empire Magazine. Despite <clears throat> popularity, also voted one of the most annoying characters in a British online poll. Well, what the, what do the British know in regards to humor? Well, their humor is different than ours. Although I do like Bean. Monty Python's okay. Bean, I always preferred. That's just me. And uh, Mighty Boosh is pretty funny too. Back to Ace. Uh, the first film was directed by Tom Shadiak, writing the screenplay with Canadian and comedian Jim Carrey, obviously, and features cameo appearances by death metal band Campbell Corpse. Awesome. Produced by Morgan Creek on a $15 million budget with Warner Brothers uh, Studios. The film grossed $72 million in U.S. and Canada, but worldwide $107 million, which is a lot. Uh, the film has a cult following despite mixed reviews. What, what do reviewers know? It's iconic it's hilarious uh the film launched uh jim's career spawning a franchise with a follow-up film and a cartoon series that lasted for three seasons from 1995 to 2000 last time i checked 1995 to 2000 is five so why did we only get three seasons whatever uh and a shitty junior detective film in 2009 that i refused to watch i believe it was direct to vhs or dvd or whatever the fucking uh, just i don't even want to talk about it Filmmakers first approached Rick Moranis, of all people, to portray Ace, but he declined. Thankfully, in my mind, nothing against Rick Moranis. I thought he was great in all of his uh, movies that he did. I just I don't want to see him as Ace in my mind. They then considered Alan Rickman from Die Hard and Harry Potter, but I've always remembered him from Die Hard. Oh, man. And then they even considered changing the protagonist to a female, and it would have been Whoopi Goldberg. Thank God they didn't go that route. Again, I'm glad they didn't. Uh, Producers uh, noticed that Carrie in In Living Color, uh, the Wayans brother uh, live action skit comedy show, uh, he'd be perfect for the cast. So I'm glad that they chose him and they definitely didn't choose the others. Oh my God, Whoopi Goldberg, that would have been just, oh God, I can't believe they even thought of that. He was given uh, permission to improvise on set, thank God, because it works. He is a wonderful wonderful character at that. Carey said his approach was, I knew it was going to be something that the audience really goes for, or it was going to ruin me completely. From my involvement since the beginning, I said the character had to be rock and roll. He had to be 007 of pet detectives, and I wanted to be unstoppably uh, ridiculous, and they let me go wild. He further states that he sought comedic uh, moments in an unappealing way to some. I wanted to keep the uh, action unreal and over the top on purpose and when it comes down to reaction or excuse me when it comes down to my reaction kissing a man i wanted a big obnoxious homophobic reaction to be recorded so ridiculous not taken seriously even though it guarantees someone is going to be offended that was my approach jim also later that year made the mask dumb and dumber and together they all three grossed 550 million which is a lot for an up-and-coming comedian uh, essentially just tv actor uh, starting he became the second highest growing star in 1994 behind Tom Hanks. Makes sense. Forrest Gump is a flawless, incredible film. 
uh, next to, uh, in my mind, uh, this is totally off topic for a second, uh, Born on Fourth of July by Tom Cruise, which is essentially a, a similar kind of take on the whole Vietnam era and uh, up and coming kind of tale. Uh, if you've never watched that, watch Born on Fourth of July. It's a really cool concept in regards to pre Forrest Gump, and it takes place, I want to say, like 10 years earlier, if I'm not mistaken. Or uh, maybe like 86, 87, something like that. Regardless, it's earlier than Forrest Gump and it's uh, Tom Cruise, Willem Dafoe. Really, really cool uh, war-torn film with a lot of great music in it. Uh, It's not entirely war. But anyway, back to Ace. Uh, The film related uh, VHS note. It was released in June uh, 14th, 1984 and DVD uh, August 26th, 1997. Blu-ray 2013. And for the future of October 2017, Morgan Creek announced plans to reboot. Oh, boy. Or much rather do a follow-up, which Ace passes the torch to a long-lost son or daughter. In 2018, Carrie displayed lack of interest in participating. And I'm sure we all know, for those of us who are listening, if he doesn't do it, it will fall. Point blank. No one's going to watch it then. By March of 2021, a sequel was in development at Amazon Studios with uh, 2020's uh, Sonic uh, the Hedgehog screenwriting attached. So, I mean, if he chose Sonic, I mean, surprisingly, I don't know why he didn't, you know, anyway. Yeah, Sonic 1 and 2 were awesome. He's a great Robotnik. Uh, however, on IMDb, for the first installment, it is PG-13. It is an hour and 26 minutes, and it has a 6.9 out of 304,000 reviews. That's a lot of reviewers, and I'm surprised it's not a higher-rated uh, comedy. But, I mean, if you want a round, it has a 7. Why not? I say it deserves a higher rating, but that's just me. It won a Blockbuster Entertainment Award in 1995 for favorite actor. Trivially, the all righty then was actually a catchphrase of one of his stand-up characters that he did uh, when he was a stand-up comedian, which is actually pretty interesting. Uh, the scene where he plucks the celloist scene was improvised when he walks into a uh, camp's uh, little party and he just strucks the guy's uh, cello. That was actually uh, improvised. Kind of cool, you know, and it clearly works because they let him do it. Um, Jen Aniston actually told a story about visiting Courtney Cox and bringing a copy of the film to watch and Courtney refused. Uh, I wonder why, you know, I'm not necessarily, uh, quite sure. Probably because she, maybe she was embarrassed with the film, whatever. Oh, Shady Acres Mental Hospital is actually named after the director, Tom Shadiak or Shadiak, however you want to pronounce his name. Jack Lemmon also lobbied for the role as Ace, but producers said he was too old. So therefore you have it. You know, that's basically one in a nutshell, you know. And uh, here's the trailer for the sequel. Actually, uh, hang on a second. Let me turn that down. Oh, boy. I'm not even going to play the sequel. I don't know. It's giving me commercials. Anyway, When Nature Calls, 1995. Also a PG-13 film. An hour and 30 minutes. IMDb rates it at 6.4 out of 220,000 reviews. Directed by Kung Pao's Steve Odekirk. Fuck yeah. Incidentally, when driving to the consulate the first time, uh, Jim actually forgot his line. So, chitty chitty bang bang was actually improvised, and actors stayed in character. The director loved it, so they kept it. Up until Dumb and Dumber 2014, this was the only sequel to uh, a film that Carrie actually was featured in. Uh, Farley Brothers were offered a chance to direct, but declined, uh, feeling that they were the wrong people. Jim improvised the part when Ace sneezes in front of the tribe. Uh, lastly, for trivia, the uh, Wachutu tribe... Uh, actually used the term white devil, which is actually a Chinese ethnic slur for uh, Westerners. Pretty interesting. Uh, released November 10th, 1995 on a $30 million budget. That's a lot for a comedy, especially in the 90s. 
uh, and 15 of which uh, went to Jim and grossed 108 million and uh, 212 worldwide. Filming began under director Tom DeSerchi, but due to Carrie's success after the first, he was able to delegate a uh, director himself, giving it to his friend uh, Odakirk. When this was his directorial, uh, this was actually his directorial debut. This was his first film. Spike Jones wanted to direct uh, Jim initially. Uh, turned him down years later, regretting the decision because he was uh, to say how it would have. He wants to see that how it would have turned out. That's why he regrets it. Uh, if it were in his hands, the film. However, Carey states he does not regret enlisting Oda Kirk whatsoever to direct due to their uh, creative similarities. In June of 1995, uh, scenes were shot in South Carolina. The following month, near San Antonio, Texas. Also, uh, parts were shot in British Columbia, Canada. Released on Blue, uh, Blue, I can't even speak. Blu-ray, September 3rd, 2013, by Warner Home Video. Nothing on the VHS release, which I certainly owned, and I couldn't find anything. I want to say it was uh, like a little, uh, like one of those uh, like holographic kind of uh, covers on it, if I'm not mistaken, because I know the same cover I also had on uh, Jurassic Park's Lost World. It was like a little, you know, where you pretend to be like a DJ, like holographic uh, skin kind of on the top. Uh, surprisingly, not much information on the follow-up film I could find, sadly. So that's really it. But nonetheless, uh, my buddy Chase and I are definitely going to talk uh, both films when we get the opportunity to do so. But I wanted to do factoids and trivia first, as what I usually do. Now I'm going to take a break and moving on to RoboCop. Let's go. All right. As is tradition, here is RoboCop 1987's official trailer. That must have been like a upgraded uh, <clears throat> advertisement for that because I could have sworn I thought the slogan was half man, half cop, or excuse me, half man, half machine, all cop. But I digress. Okay, beginning with this. Robocop 1987, a sci-fi film directed by Paul Verhoeven. The film was conceived by writer Ed Numir while working on Blade Runner in 1982. Script was purchased in 85 by producer John Davison with Orion Pictures. Filmed mostly in Dallas in October of 1986. <clears throat> Rob Botton did special effects and the RoboCop costume. Uh, the tagline for the uh, cover art is, yes, part man, part machine, all cop, as I stated. 
Censorship boards for the film believed it was too extreme, so several scenes were shortened or modified to secure a rating. The film earned 53 million reviews, praised the film with deep philosophical meaning and satire, but were conflicted on the extreme violence throughout. A direct sequel to the 87 film tentatively titled Robocop Returns is actually in development as of 2020, ignoring the other entries within the series. So we'll see what happens with that. If you haven't seen it in a while, uh, this is uh, essentially the plot in a scrunched up version, if you will. It is a near dystopian future Detroit uh, in the brink of collapse overwhelmed by crime. Omni Consumer Products, or OCP, gains control over the police department, and they demonstrate a new droid, if you will, called Ed 209. It malfunctions in an office and kills the executive, uh, one of the coolest kills in the movie for sure. Thusly introducing a different chairman to uh, the game to introduce his project to rid the city of crime enters RoboCop. Uh, Introduce uh, momentarily uh, Alex Murphy. And uh, his partner, Ann Lewis, pursue a notorious criminal, Clarence Boddicker, uh, a.k.a. Kurtwood Smith, the uh, actor. The gang ambushes Murphy, uh, murders him, and uh, his corpse is uh, converted into RoboCop, essentially. Its mission is slated as four directives. RoboCop has four directives throughout the film. They uh, don't let you forget the four directives that he has. Uh, Primarily three. Public trust, protect the innocent, and uphold the law. Four is classified, and that comes to effect later on uh, in the film. With an executive literally at the end of the film, as I just said, Robocop assigned to uh, Metro West, and his partner suspects, uh, or excuse me, his old partner, uh, Lewis, suspects it is Murphy recognizing that he holds the gun a certain way, like TJ Laser, a TV show he used to mimic for his son's enjoyment. Uh, during maintenance, experiences a nightmare of his death and experiences humanity once again throughout uh, glimpses of the film. Leaving the station, encounters Lewis, and she says, Murphy, his name. He makes, a, uh, <clears throat> he makes an arrest and uses the perpetrator to access his police record with a, uh, it's a little data uh, spike within his hand. Uh, and he tracks down Boddicker, who confesses working for Jones, the villain who Im- implemented a uh, direct four within his database who then releases ed to that or 2009 excuse me 209 on him since directive four uh prevents robocop from arresting jones it is his insurance policy as he calls it since uh he helped create robocop therefore he can't be arrested essentially uh lewis finds him and helps him escape to a steel mill to repair himself. This is nearing the end of the film. Angered by uh, OCP's underfunding and short staffing, the police uh, force go on strike. Uh, Jones sends Boddicker with heavily uh, armed artillery to take down Robocop. They find him with a tracker, sort of like a GPS, I guess, if you will, at the steel mill and trap Robocop under uh, some steel girders. Boddicker gets too close to Robocop and... Uh, his attempt to destroy him and he gets stabbed by the data spike in the throat. Robocop wins flawless victory. Mortal Kombat. Shout out to them. <laughs> Robocop then confronts Jones at the OCP building during a uh, marketing or excuse me, during a meeting reveal the truth of Jones intentions. Jones grabs a hostage. The CEO finds himself uh, fired, therefore nullifying the directive for by the uh, CEO to Jones, who is kind of like a vice president, I guess, if you will permitting RoboCop to shoot him since he no longer works for OCP, causing Jones to crash through a window to his death. The CEO asks his name, and he says, Murphy, roll 80s classic credits. Film uh, is done. Now, I will get into a little more aspects of the film. 
Now, production for the film was conceived early on in the 80s by Universal uh, screenwriter Edward Numir. Uh, loving Star Wars and Blade Runner, he envisioned a crossover uh, in relation to uh, human humanitarian uh, relations with a cyborg, for example. Uh, his influence to kill off the protagonist was inspired by uh, Hitchcock's Psycho in 1960, when uh, he gets murdered in the beginning. It's uh, an homage to Psycho. Pretty cool. Now, Ed's 209's malfunction was based on the screenwriter's uh, daydreams about a robot bursting in and killing everyone, which he does essentially to just one poor soul. Not everybody. But uh, that's crazy that that's what he was thinking. So you might want to go get that checked out. I think you have a problem. Considered to play Robocop for casting was none other than Arnold Schwarzenegger himself, Michael Ironside, which would have been interesting, who was also in Total Recall with Arnold, uh, Rutger Hauer, Armand Asante, Asante, however you pronounce it, Keith Carradine, and James Reamer. Reamer, Remar, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But the aforementioned names seem too imposing to believe that in a Robocop costume, thinking Schwarzenegger in that particular garb would have looked like the uh, Michelin Man or Pillsbury Doughboy. So they went with uh, Peter Weller to fit the bill. Uh, his partner, Lewis, played by Nancy Allen, undertook uh, police trading uh, and sought advice from her uh, father, who was a police lieutenant. Filming was based on a uh, $11 million budget. Most scenes took place in Dallas and Pittsburgh. Weller stated that the costume was cumbersome, struggling to uh, just see through his helmet, and it was difficult for him to grab objects uh, while wearing the gloves. His experience in hot Dallas caused him to uh, sweat off around three pounds a day because of how hot it was. The film initially had a, an X rating, not an NC-17, an X rating, due to its extreme violence. The MPAA issue included uh, Murphy's death, uh, that was the issue that they had was Murphy's death in the beginning. That's why there was the uh, harsh rating. Ed 209's shooting, the executive, was also too harsh. The violence was shortened and uh, ad breaks were added before and or after a violent scene on purpose to lighten the mood. So that's why they're in there. Otherwise, I'm sure most viewers are like, why is this in here? But whatever. Sort of a backfiring causing the MPA reviewers to be confused with advertisements thinking it was the uh, wrong film reel. <laughs> but were kept in the film to achieve the uh, R rating instead of the X. The MPAA rejected the mutated uh, Emil scene, but uh, Orion kept it because during the uh, scenes, it got the bigger laughs, the portion where uh, the guy essentially just starts melting and turns into like some weird marshmallow human thing, that sequence. Murphy's death scene was shot in Long Beach, California at an auto assembly plant with Phil Tippett's uh, special effects. Uh, the guy from ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, uh, I'll explain that later, at a raised stage allowing operators to perform the effects below. The prosthetic arm was cast in a, an agglutinate, agglutinate, whatever, algonate, I, yeah, I don't English, and filled with a tubing that pumped blood with uh, compressed air. Weller's left hand was attached to his shoulder with Velcro. It was uh, made to explode, but put back easily for repeat shots if necessary. <laughs> The right arm was jerked by a monofilament wire. A detailed articulated replica of Weller's body was used to depict a Boddicker shooting him through the head. A mold uh, was made using latex, baked to make it rubbery, and placed over a fiberglass skull containing blood and an explosive charge. The head was controlled by four puppeteers. The charge in the skull was connected to the trigger of Smith's gun by a wire, thus synchronizing the effect when the trigger was pulled. Emil's mutation was inspired by 1977's Incredible Melting Mad. What an 
interesting name. I'm going to have to watch that movie now because I like watching crap. He had a foam latex headpiece and glove with the appearance of skin melting off the bone. Clever, and it, it works. It, it holds up. That's, that's a lot of effects for all these scenes. Good job, Phil. Tip it. The prosthetic was then applied to a dummy when struck by Clarence's car. The effect was completed with uh, raw chicken, soup, and gravy washing over the windshield uh, when Emil explodes. The same dummy was used when Robocop was crushed, uh, painted wood. Uh, Dick Jones's fatal fall through the glass is shown in stop-motion puppet animation. <clears throat> uh, uh, what was I going to say? Robocop was... Uh, Stab when uh, okay. Initially, when Robocop was stabbed by uh, no, initially, when Robocop was to stab Boddicker when he gets crushed by the girders, that he was supposed to stab him in the eye, but due to censorship, they went with the neck. So, thank you, MPAA. But I wonder if there's an unreleased version of the uh, eye shot that would have been really cool. Also, the final fall used uh, a matte painting to uh, symbolize depth from above. So cool. Boddicker in the warehouse scene, the uh, stuntman was thrown through real glass panes rigged with detonating cords to shatter before he hit the glass. Gelatin capsules filled with sawdust and sparkling compound were fired from an air gun at Robocop to create ricocheted bullets. Robocop's costume took six months to build. Moving uh, sections required aluminum ball bearings, you know, i.e. the uh, elbows and the knees. The entirety of the costume is supported by a harness of hooks, allowing sustained movement during heavy scenes. Overall, seven costumes were made, a fireproof version as well. Robocop's infamous gun is uh, an Auto 9 in the film, but is actually a Beretta 93R. Oh, thank you, dog, for barking. Appreciate that, yeah. Uh, Beretta 93R, uh, or Romeo Revolver, what do you want to call it, with an extended barrel. Modified to shoot blanks. Uh, vents were cut on the side to allow muzzle flashes with each shot, making it look that much cooler. Ed 209's model took four months to build and cost 25000 standing seven feet tall. The initial one, there are two others, weighing around three to 500 pounds, the seven-foot-tall one. Uh, another four months were spent building two 12-inch replicas for stop motion. Smaller scales were uh, easier to film and much more efficient for the uh, 55 shots in uh, three months that they needed him for. Uh, other effects and design include the police cars. Uh, there are nine 1986 Ford Tauruses painted black. The uh, 6000 SUX, driven by a uh, Boddicker, Kurtwood Smith's character, was an Oldsmobile uh, Cutlass Supreme. The commercial for the car features a plasticine dinosaur animated by Steve Kyoto, who was one of the brothers behind the classic horror comedy 1988's Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I did not know that. That's fucking awesome. Box office-wise, it released July 17th, 1987, grossing $53 million in the States, and it released on VHS early of 88, priced at, get this, $89.98. That sounds way too expensive for a fucking VHS. It made $24 million in sales, surprisingly, the uh, VHS. DVD release, June of 2004, includes the two sequels and are uncut. Blu-ray... Hi, I'm Tyler. Can you speak English? Uh, like I said, there's still more on uh, RoboCop 1. Jeez. Blu-ray released October 2010. Interesting enough, in regards to the legacy, uh, crowdfunded making of a documentary, RoboDoc, is set to be released sometime this year in 2023. A statue of RoboCop is to be constructed. Actually, it is. It's complete now. Let me explain. 
on a $70,000 crowdfunded budget. Last year, the 10-foot statue was completed and is awaiting installation at an undisclosed location. I think it belongs in Detroit, but that's just me. IMDb rates this film 7.6 out of 261,000 reviews, making sense. Uh, Trivially, according to IMDb, uh, to maintain the illusion of Weller driving in a costume, he wore the top half and sat in his underwear when driving a car because not all of it would fit in the vehicle. The trauma team trying to save him in the beginning of the film when he gets, you know, quote unquote, uh, murdered, uh, Murphy, on set, were real and their lines were actually ad-libbed. Pretty cool. Special effects were done with the gaming uh, Commodore Amiga computer. That's how they handle the effects in the film. That's pretty funny. Uh, lastly, before I get to the sequel, uh, Kurtwood Smith's wife, Joan Perkle, plays Dick Jones's secretary, Barbara, who he flirts with before the meeting after he spills the beans with uh, Duffy. He's all cut up on his face, and I think he puts, like, gum on her picture or something. So stupid. Uh, there you have it, folks. Factoids and trivia on the iconic first installment of this sci-fi action classic. Much has been said, and I left out with intentions to do an episode on scenes, likes, and dislikes, like I said with my buddy Austin, which uh, is on his show, The Kickin' Ass Podcast. If you want to listen to that, by all means, go for it. So stay tuned. I'm going to take a break and talk the sequel. All right, well, closing out this episode with RoboCop 2, and I know I say it almost every time, but as is tradition, here is the trailer for RoboCop 2. about that uh mr o'heller or healer whatever his name is behave yourselves and uh the lady you're obsolete like the commercial doesn't even necessarily uh i feel like do justice to not even necessarily the moral of the film but just overall premise of the film they don't really talk about nuke at all or anything they don't you know show hob or the female lackey or nothing it's 
Uh, the direction of the advertisement wasn't even that great either. So I don't have very many pages left on RoboCop 2, <clears throat> but here it is. RoboCop 2, released 1990, directed by Irvin Kirshner. Last film to uh, feature Peter Weller as RoboCop. And Kirshner's last film before his death in 2010. Rest in peace. You will always be remembered for this and Empire Strikes Back, so thank you. The film was shot in Houston this time. The plot involves RoboCop stopping the spread of a street drug called Nuke dealt by uh, Kane, Tom Noonan's character. As you can tell, I'm already kind of getting into the plot, so bear with me. I'll be pretty quick. It starts when RoboCop raids a nuke manufacturing plant that plagues Detroit. Kane and the kid antagonist, Hob, escape. <clears throat> like the first film, he suffers from flashbacks of his previous life and even ventures to the old neighborhood. His wife, still grieving, brings uh, litigation against OCP, Omicron Consumer Products, for harassment. Murphy then tells his wife uh, he is dead and does not know her. Ouch, that, that hurts, even just for a movie. Jeez. Uh, new research has been uh, started to make a follow-up cyborg. The staff is horrified that researcher Dr. Juliet Fox seeks to use death row inmates. Robot, robot, <laughs> Robocop confronts Kane in his hideout and, and is then uh, dismembered and overwhelmed uh, by the gang uh, from the trap that they set for him. Uh, the gang dumps his uh, horrific remains whatever you want to call what's left of him uh, in front of the precinct. Robocop is repaired, but is uh, impaired in his normal abilities. Lewis notices, and essentially he shocks himself thereafter, rebooting his system back to normal because, my God, yeah, he was just so, ugh, when they did the corrections on him, quote, unquote, it was, jeez, bad sense of direction. I'll explain that later. Uh, back <clears throat> for Kane, Robocop, again, was... Uh, um, excuse me, was on his tail and Hob uh, escapes uh, gaining drug control, or excuse me, Robocop gains control of Kane and Hob escapes once again gaining drug control and status. Injured Kane is selected to be the new uh, mechanized machine. Surgeons place his brain a, on a body similar to that of Ed 209 in the previous film and reactivate him. The mayor is contacted by Hob since the city's debts have not been paid. Hob offers the uh, excuse me, to pay off the city's debt in exchange for hands-off policy towards the drug uh, that nullifying the OCP's scheme. OCP finds out and they send Kane to the meeting, feeling threatened, of course. Uh, Kane slaughters everyone, but the mayor escapes. Robocop arrives to find Hob wounded, the uh, little boy, who's essentially just, a, he plays a really good asshole for a kid in this film. Identifying the assailant as Kane before dying. Next, as a ceremony near the end of the film, Kane is unveiled and is presented a nuke canister. His addiction causes destruction, disobeying his programming, and murdering many. Robocop uses the nuke as a distraction and uh, shoots through his back, essentially. Uh, you know, he climbs up behind him and gets on his back. Rips out his brain and smashes it on the ground. Lewis and Murphy get up and uh, he insists that she must be patient and says, we're only human. Roll credits. Yeah. Uh, IMDb. <laughs> sorry. I, I like it. I, I do. It's just it's not nearly on par compared to the first film, in my mind, at least. Uh, in IMDb news, it has a 5.8 out of 87,000 reviews. I at least for a lower end B film, I think it deserves at least like a 6.2 or something. I mean, a 5.8, I feel like it's a little low. That's just me. Trivially, as uh, I usually do, IMDb has uh, 
this is what they have to offer. The scene in which Murphy uh, shoots around someone's head who is smoking, after which he then says, thank you for not smoking, was actually licensed and run as a uh, PSA, public service announcement, ahead of many films at the time in many non-smoking theaters during the summer season of that year. This time, the suit was constructed on, of purely fiberglass, allowing more freedom for Peter Weller in terms of movement, giving it that metallic rainbowish hue. So that ex not only explains the color, uh, but it was different material and it was lighter for him uh, this time round. That's why it looks different comparative to the first. When Robocop is in the arcade, the video games uh, are published by Data East, whom were the uh, creator behind the games, uh, the home console versions, not Ocean, uh, the British pu uh, publica... <laughs> Fuck, I can't even speak. Ocean, the British publishing company is what I said on an Austin show, but it's actually um, Data East. Uh, the shootout scene at the Nuke Lab is actually a Budweiser brewery. The same setting was used in Star Trek's 2009 on the Enterprise. Now back to Wikipedia. The script for the sequel went through four drafts, and that's a lot for poor Frank Miller, the writer. The first one was uh, less comic and had a bigger emphasis on a corporate... Uh, focus of fascism than the uh, final film with the last showdown pitting robocop against ocp forces rather than instead of uh, kane uh, you know so they cut stories from the draft including ann lewis's backstory his partner and a marriage between alex murphy and the wife ellen uh paul verhosen or Verhoeven, well, might as well be right. I mean, it sounds similar to Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven didn't uh, return for the sequel because at the time he was actually working on Total Recall. The film went through many directors until Kirshner, who was in the chair uh, for directing. On the uh, note of Total Recall, that makes sense because Michael Ironside was also in uh, Total Recall. That's probably why he also opted out uh, to be chosen. He wasn't even that big and burly, but anyway, another classic film that I'm going to have to touch up on. I love Total Recall. Uh, as I said, Paul Verhoeven uh, is also noted for uh, directing The Empire Strikes Back, the Star Wars film in 1980. Orion Pictures controlled the material based on business decisions rather than creativity for the sequel. Uh, that's probably the biggest flaw and mistake after the film rewrites and there was no real creative direction. According to Peter Weller, the film didn't have a proper third act as Orion thought that the monster, Kane, at the end, the knockoff Ed 209 or 210, whatever you want to call it, uh, would be enough. Weller was reluctant to return, but knowing that the costume designer, Mani Joachim, uh, would solve the problem with the uh, previous costume. So thank you for allowing Peter Weller to work uh, more fluidly in the sequel, but I did not like the rainbow issue. That's just me. I preferred the original chrome look. Also, same stunt double, Russell Towery, returns as well as uh, the stuntman in this sequel, just like in the first. Phil Tippett returns for uh, special effects, having worked for George Lucas's studio's Industrial Light and Magic, as I stated before, and then becomes obviously THX that most people know. Makes sense because the uh, Rancor in Return of the Jedi, the Star Wars film, was a stop motion, so it all comes together now. It makes perfect sense, in my mind. Uh, to promote the film, Robocop was actually a guest appearance for WCW's pay-per-view event, uh, Capital Combat, where he rescued Sting from the Four Horsemen. The film grossed $45 million and it received mixed reviews due to its aspect of being a cool idea and fell short, much that of an afterthought, unfortunately. The technical dazzle and violence holds up, but audiences, you know, wanted more, it seemed, is what, you know, I even kind of gather myself. So closing out this uh, segment, comedy, Ace Ventura, touched up on action sci-fi film, Robocop, 
one and two obviously touched up on. So thank you for sticking around. This was a lot of fun to do. These were notes that I had. If you want to hear me talk more about RoboCop, head over to uh, Kicking Ass Podcast with my buddy uh, Austin James where we uh, talk RoboCop 1 and 2. I intend to talk uh, with a buddy of mine uh, hopefully soon in regards to uh, Ace Ventura 1 and 2, you know, likes, dislikes, and uh, points of the film that we remember. So as always, thank you for the love and support, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day.